You're listening to audio from Kingsway Christian Church. If you'd like to check out more resources or donate to this ministry, please visit kingswaychurch.org. Good morning, everybody. I uh, moved here in September. It will be eight years ago now. And when I got here, everybody talked about how young I was. It's amazing. I don't hear that quite as much as I used to. Don't worry, eight years ago, you weren't as young as you are now either. So you were about eight years younger. Anyway, so when I moved here, we moved into something called the Mission House, which is almost on our property. You can go past the old zebra house. For those of you who have been in Avon for long, you know what I'm talking about. The next house is the Mission House. The church owns that. And I lived in there for a season before we moved into the house that we're in now. So we've lived in there all the time since then. And our house is great. Like, we love our house. We're in a great neighborhood. We love, we're by the town park and the library. It's fantastic. It, and the people who built our house were a little bit of a visionary. So they kind of had this idea, like instead of doing eight foot ceilings, they would do, I, can't, I don't know if they're nine or 10, whatever they are, they're tall ceilings and it's nice, except that we have the typical home of a home that was built 30 years ago. So we have like a formal living room and a family room. We have a formal dining room and like a kitchen eating area. And I don't know about how many of you do formal dinners anymore, and I know like we had the living room, family room thing when I was growing up too, and you always had like nice ours was weird, furniture, but it was always a clean room. So when people came in the door, there was the room right there and they didn't have to see the real part of the house. And it's nice in that regard, but I literally have rooms that every day I come home and go, I do not know what to do with that room. So my boys have, of course, spread their toys into it. It's another part of their toy box called our house. But in my perfect world, I'm saying this in case anybody in here, you know, the construction guy wants to help me out. I'm joking. In my perfect world, if I could knock out about two walls, I could open this space up into like one big open concept. I could kind of make this one room kind of like a, a sitting room or a sunroom or even toy room or like, I've got all these dreams. The problem that's holding it up is these blasted walls that are literally right in the way. Does anybody else have a wall like that in your house? You know what I'm talking about? Some people are like, your wives are like, would you stop it already? He wants to knock this out or maybe it's the husband in your family going, stop. So walls are these things in our lives that they get constructed, and at one point in our life, they made sense, right? You put that wall there because at some point, that's what you needed or that's what you wanted. But then as you grew, as things changed, now you're stuck with a wall in place you don't know what to do with. Consider some of these walls for a minute. So just take a look. You, you may have seen this wall before, right? <clears throat> this is a really great wall, in case you've never seen it before. Not visible from space, even though urban legend says it is. If this were visible from space, you'd be able to see every road just about in the world from space. Think about it for a minute. However, this wall, the Great Wall of China, was constructed in part to defend China from invading nations. So it would have made it extremely difficult to get past, and it gave them a high point to be able to battle down on the enemy. How about this kind of wall? Who doesn't want to live here? Anybody? All the ladies in the room just went... Oh, maybe not that castle particularly, but ladies, who wants to live in a castle? Anybody? Hands? A few of you? You know there's no air conditioning, heating, or indoor plumbing, right? Just check it, unless they've retrofitted it. But the walls in a castle, or in a castle, yeah, were usually constructed to keep the good people in, the bad people out. That was the goal of the high walls, as well as to show off money and power, but it was in order to defend. How about these walls? Anybody want to live here? Yeah, not exactly. These walls are constructed not to keep the bad guys out and the good guys in, but it's the opposite, right? Keep the bad guys in and the good guys out. Now, the reason for these things, these walls we see is they are a protection. 
But these walls subsequently divide, don't they? They separate us. The, the, the us and the them, the you and the they. There are other walls. They aren't quite as specific as these. They're a little bit more interesting. Like, how about this one? Still don't know what the point of this wall is. And anybody under 25 goes, who is that? But this is one of the most genius walls I've ever seen in my entire life. And I'm mad that I didn't think of it. Go to the next one. This would have saved me some serious whoopings as a kid. My sister and I, we had that imaginary line, you know, like in the middle of the car, which is two of us, so we didn't have three. An imaginary line in the middle of the car, like that's your side, that's my side, but that line is like dance space because it was invisible. Mom would try to mark it, you know, put something in the middle. You stay on your side, and it, it, it just doesn't work. I don't know why. There's like a magnetism when you're kids. I must go on their side. This is absolutely genius. So these are silly, but these are maybe a little bit more serious. How about these walls? And I don't know what's going on there, but there is an invisible wall between them, is there not? How about this one? Some of you are like, gosh, that feels like this weekend. Or football season, which starts in 30 days. Thank you, Jesus. Now, how about these? Is racism dead in America? Nobody wants to answer that one, do they? You see, it might depend on your color of your skin or your cultural background. And my guess is, no matter which side of this divide you fall on, there's a part of you that has a reason why the other person needs to change. How about this one? See, walls exist in our culture and our lives Sometimes they exist for good reasons, like prisons, in order to protect us from people who have proven they aren't safe. Sometimes they exist because we've just started arguing or fighting or battling. The Bible calls it backbiting and devouring. Sometimes they exist for reasons we aren't even 100% sure of. We just know that they're not good and we are. And whatever it is that created the divide, I'm here to tell you today and show it to you today, God wants to tear it. Division and walls go all the way back to the Old Testament. When God came and called Abraham and said, I'm gonna start a family through you, and he tells Abraham, you're gonna be the father of many, though you have no kids and you're much older in years, you're in your 60s or whatever when he first calls him, you're gonna be the father of many. More than the stars in the sky, more than the sand on the shores, Abraham, just stick with me. I'm gonna do something amazing in you. I'm gonna give a sign, I'm gonna give a a physical marker uh, that the things are gonna be different, and it's gonna be called circumcision, And Abraham and Moses went, Noah got a rainbow, God. Think we'd get something else? But God wanted to mark the part of his body that would represent life, and I don't want to go any further than that, but it is a part of today's text. And so every Jewish man was literally circumcised, physically circumcised, and that was the sign that they were in with God. But that sign created a physical and visual barrier between cultures. Because if you were in with God through Jews, through the Judaism, through Israel, through the Old Testament law and covenant, then everybody else was not in with God. 
And this is how we come up with Jews and Gentiles. Jews, the word Jew comes from Judah, uh, when we come back after the first exile, Judah is the major city of Israel. Israel would be the more biblical term for God's people in the Old Testament, but Jew comes from Judah, and so we have Jews and Gentiles in Jesus' day, and it's two groups of people who live <clears throat> in the same town, but they're not made of the same stuff, and everybody knew it. How they dressed, how they acted, the things they talked about, everything was different. And they treated each other differently. And we see this throughout the New Testament. We see it even when the gospel, Jesus died on the cross and he rose from the dead. And Jesus from heaven is trying to direct his apostles, the disciples, to now go out and take the gospel to the ends of the earth. Even Peter needs some like visions from God of, of unclean foods coming down from heaven, like move him and stir him. He's like, I don't know, God, them? Are you sure them? Them? And if you get it, see if you understand the history, there's a reason. See, in that day, in the Old Testament, there was something called the temple. Here's a a man-made picture, since there was no helicopter, go up and take a picture, and the temple doesn't exist today. Here's a man-made picture of what Herod's temple, the second temple, would have looked like. Here's a, an example of that. And I don't know how well you can see this. This is just a construction, a, a computerized image. Just, again, I want to stress that. So this area here was known as kind of like the women's courtyard. Women were allowed to go in here, and so were Gentiles. Most likely, in the book of Acts, this is where the New Testament church gathered at first, as well as meeting at homes on a regular basis for food and fellowship. They would gather in this general area. Now, if you go beyond it to these wall, this wall right here, inside here, Jewish men were allowed in there. And if you were to go inside this big white thing here, this is where we'd find the holy place and the most holy place, sometimes called the holy of holies. And what you have is a wall and then another wall and then another wall. And each wall becomes more restrictive as to who can go in. In this white space, the priests could go in. But then even once you got inside there, go ahead and go to the next picture, there was another thing, the big curtain that walled off the, the ark of God where it was said it was the mercy seat of God where God sat and judged everybody for their sins. And it sat behind this thick curtain that no one could go behind except one man, the high priest, one time a year. Leviticus chapter 16 will tell you about that one time. It's called the Great Day of Atonement. It's one of my favorite chapters in all the Bible. I've preached sermons on this before. But the Great Day of Atonement, the high priest would get up in the morning and he would bathe and he'd change clothes and do this more than once. And he would have to go through all these sacrificial cleanliness uh, rituals in order to be right and pure before God. And he'd have to go in and put some incense and smoke in there so he could come into the presence of God. And he'd have to take blood and pour it in there before he even went in. And then he would go in and offer the blood of a sacrifice sacrifice for the sins of all the people. The great day of atonement, in essence, accomplished two major things. It made sure that any sins that you forgot to repent of or any sins that somebody among you didn't repent of were covered over. So that God gave his people a sense of peace for one year, one year. And they would party like it was 1999 after that. It, I was there in 1999. It really wasn't that impressive. But anyway, they would go in that one time of the year on the great day of atonement, but only one person could go. See, walls were a part of the Jewish system. 
The reason Gentiles weren't allowed in is because when God went to Abraham and subsequently to Isaac, to Jacob, and then you jump on down eventually to Moses, and then Moses has given the laws. The Jewish people were supposed to be, the Hebrew word here is kadosh. They were supposed to be holy. They were supposed to be set apart. And that set apart literally didn't mean weird, but it meant righteous, sold out to God. It was a holy setting apart. It was set apart by God for God's purposes. But over time, it became an us and them mentality. There were people, proselytes, who could join Israel, except that wasn't real developed in some of the prophetic books 100 years before Jesus. By the time Jesus shows up, there's actually roughly 10% of Rome that's become Jewish by religion. There are God-fears, people who go through a cleansing ceremony. They would literally be baptized into Judaism. They would agree to adopt their dietary laws and worship their God alone. And we actually see some of them mentioned in the Gospels and in the book of Acts. The point, though, is that there's still barriers. You could become one of us, but you'll never really be one of us. You'll always be labeled something different. And I think that same kind of thing happens at churches still today. Part of the reason I think that is because it happened in the New Testament, and I shouldn't expect that it would be radically different today. If Christians struggled with it 2,000 years ago, we probably still struggle with it today. Oh, sure, you can join us. You can take on our name. You can become one of us, but I'm just not sure you're really one of us. The color of your skin, your education level, the way you dress, the way you smell, the way you look, the things you did. Eh, You could join us. I'm not sure you're one of us. Well, this is the root of exactly what's going on in the book of Ephesians by the time we find ourselves in chapter two. So turn with me real quick, Ephesians chapter two. We're gonna pick up at verse 11. Paul writes this. Don't forget that you Gentiles, do you like the way he says that? Didn't your parents ever tell you? You don't say you, you Gentiles. Paul's a racist Just kidding. Don't forget that you Gentiles used to be outsiders. You were called uncircumcised heathens by the Jews. That may not sound quite like the derogatory knock that it was in his day. You're like, that's just weird, man. Your your, your trash talk is needlessly complicated. That's a quote from Turbo. Anybody ever see Turbo? The dumbest and most amazing movie of all time. Go watch it later. All right. The point here is that, I got a rough crowd today. My goodness, I'm really off. All right, anyway. The point here is that Jews and Gentiles had this unbelievable barrier. Now, it played out physically. It played out physically, but it played out emotionally. It played out relationally. It played out spiritually. It played out socially. It played out in all of their areas of life, which makes sense if you go back to the temple. The temple was the center of everything in Jewish culture. And everything about the way it was constructed and organized, there was an us in them, even between men and women. These Jews were proud of their circumcision, even though it affected only their bodies and not their hearts. In those days, you were living apart from Christ. You were excluded from citizenship among the people of Israel, and you did not know the covenant promises God made to them. You lived in this world without God and without hope. Don't miss that last part. What Paul is trying to get to is, Gentiles, do you realize that while you are now sitting in a church building with Jews, and you are believing in their Messiah, 
Do you remember there was a day that you didn't have that good news? You, there was a day you were completely separated, cut off, isolated from him. And they had access to the truth that you didn't have. They were on their way to salvation through him. And you didn't even have knowledge that he existed or that you should even care about it. There was this huge wall between you. But something significant happened. When Messiah came, he blew up everybody's understanding of the world and the way that it works. Of who God is and what he's up to. When God, when Jesus specifically started eating with tax collectors and sinners, everybody started going, why are you doing that? He actually calls one of them, Matthew, best book of the Bible, just saying, to be one of his disciples. He has women following him around. And we're actually told some of those women are prominent women. They're married to governors and councilmen of the day, and they're using their funds to pay for his ministry. At one point, Jesus has a woman come in and everybody knows this woman is extremely immoral. And she not only washes Jesus's feet with her tears because of the way he accepts her for her sins, but she wipes off the tears and the mud and the dirt on his feet with her hair. And the Pharisees and the religious people of the day are going, how can you let her do that? And Jesus is going, I came in here, you didn't give me water for my hands. She's bathing me with her tears. What Jesus did was so radical because he tore down the wall. He said, it doesn't matter how smart you are. It doesn't matter how educated you are. It doesn't matter what your gender is. It doesn't matter the color of your skin. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter your name, your prominence, your financial status. It doesn't matter what religion you were a part of. It doesn't matter what you've done or what you're doing. What matters is are you standing at a cross receiving Christ? See, when Jesus went to the cross and he spread out his arms and he gave up his life, it was a game changer because he said, anybody who wants to come to me, I will give you rest for your weary souls. Our souls become weary for two primary reasons. Now I'm gonna talk like whistle all morning. I don't know where it comes from. All right, we'll just go with it. There are two primary reasons why we come to the cross. And these are big buckets we're working with, two big categories. Category number one, it's what you might call um, uh, just the, the self-discovery path. I'm going to see what life has to offer, and I'm going to decide for myself what I want out of life. We see this in the younger brother and the prodigal story, which we've talked about throughout this series. But if you're visiting with us today, Jesus tells a story about two brothers. And the younger brother goes to his daddy and says, Dad, I don't really care about you. I want my share of the inheritance, and I want it now. In essence, he's demanding his dad's life because you get an inheritance when you die. And the father, instead of backhanding him, saying, get out of here, you're not my son anymore, he gives him what would have been the deed to the land. That's what he would have inherited. And so the son takes it, and it says he spends it on wild living. Hang on to that for today's message. And when the son goes out, he runs out of money. He spends everything he has, <coughs> excuse me, and he finds himself desperate because a famine hits, and now he not only has no resources left, he can't get a job. He ends up feeding pigs, and he gets so desperate that he wants to eat the slop, the pods that the pigs are eating. He finally comes up with a plan. I know what I do. I know what I'll do. I'll save myself. 
I'll say to my daddy, dad, I've sinned against heaven. I've sinned against you. Just make me like one of your slaves. And so he runs home. But when the father sees him far off, he has compassion for him. And he runs to his son. He wraps his arms around him. It says he kisses him profusely. This is not like a passionate husband-wife kiss. This is like over and over and over and over and over kissing. And the father demands that his servants come and bring him a robe, a ring, and some sandals. He's not going to be a slave in daddy's house. He's not going to save himself by paying off the debt. This dad is going to assume all of the debts incurred. The message of the gospel is that we are all lost sons and daughters. Some of us get there by self-discovery. I've got to go into the far country. I've got to see and experience. And then the question is, when you finally run out of resources, you finally hit the end of your rope, will you come to the Father and receive his mercy? Some of you might even be wise enough to say, do I really have to lose everything before I get this? But there's another path, and we see it in the older brother. And this other path is the moral conformity, you might call it. It's the brother who's really good, even really, really good. I mean, he's obedient. He works hard. He lives at home. He does everything the father ever asks of him, at least to the best of his ability. And therefore, the father owes him one. Jesus tells us that both of these people are at the same cross, looking up, needing a savior, needing his love, his approval, his salvation, his redemption, his changing of their status. Typically, And especially in America, older brothers have a hard time thinking they need it. And see, it's easy to throw a stone. It's easy to be judgmental. It's easy to think you've got it all together if you think you're better than everybody else. And then we get to this cross. Take a look at Matthew chapter 27, verse 51. And at the moment where Jesus cries out, it is finished. The curtain in the sanctuary of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook, rocks split apart. Now, I don't know about you, but if you ever read the gospel story or maybe you saw this like a Passion of the Christ or whatever it is, First of all, if you, this curtain, I read it once, I don't have the data in front of me, just how big and tall and thick this was. You could not have torn this by hand. And even if you wanted to, you would have had to have started at the bottom. This curtain tore from top to bottom, not from bottom to top, because God was doing the tearing. It's emphatic. God was opening up the holy of holies, the most holy place, tearing apart this curtain so that now, not just the high priest one time a year, not just the priests, not just the men, not just the women, the Gentiles, anybody who wants to come in can go right past all of those walls, right into the presence of God, we're told in Hebrews, and they can enter the throne room of grace with confidence, knowing that when they cry out to him, he hears them, he picks them up like a father to a child, says, come here, my daughter, climb into daddy's lap. Come here, my son. I love you. What do you need? What do you need? Oh, you just want to be with me? Fantastic. Yesterday, my wife was going to run to the stores and the kiss of death happened. Uh, One of my boys goes, oh, I want to go with you, mommy. I was like, 
no, son, stay here with daddy. Mommy needs a break. She's going to go. And the tears start flooding. And I look at her and she says, I don't care. That's fine. So then the brother gets jealous. I want to go too. I said, boy, she's just going to the grocery store. You're not getting a toy. Do we understand? No suckers are coming home. Turns out I was wrong. But anyway, <laughs> I want to go. I want to go. I want to go too. I don't want to be around the house. I want to go. I look at her. She's like, I got it. That's fine. I said, well, I guess I'll stay with my oldest, Matthias. So I go out, and he's just sitting playing on the back deck, and I just sat down with him and said, hey, buddy, they're going to go to the store. If you want to go, you can. I'll go with you so mommy's not doing this by herself. And he said, why don't we go on a daddy date? That sounds like a fantastic idea. I think we should do that. So we go over to the Splash Center, and we had an absolute blast playing at the Aquatic Center in Plainfield. And I came home, and I was beaming because my son just wanted to be with me. He just wanted to be with me. You parents, you know what that's like, right? It's not just like, hey, I need you to buy me something. No, no, no. I just want to be with you. I don't care where. He kept saying, where are we going to go, Dad? I don't know, because we just thought of this. I started throwing ideas. You want to go for a hike? Sure. You want to go here? Sure. He literally said, my favorite part, Dad, is I just get to be with you. You're amazing. I know. Aren't you jealous? (laughs) What Jesus did in that moment, don't miss this as he tore down the wall that was separating us from him. So now we can be with our father anytime. See, most of you who are Christians or becoming a Christian, you, don't, you didn't realize that there was a period in time where God seemed distant, mysterious, otherly. He was very, very difficult to relate to, but in Jesus, all of that was changed. Now, the problem isn't, is that change? The problem is, do you see this as true for you, but not true for everybody who will receive it? Do you treat people different because their skin or their language or their sin struggle is different than yours? Take a look at Ephesians chapter two again. Look at verse 13. But now you have been united with Christ Jesus. Once you were far away from God, but now you have been brought near to him through the blood of Christ. For Christ himself has brought peace to us. He united Jews and Gentiles into one people. When? In his body on the cross, he broke down the wall of hostility that separated us. He did this by ending the system of law with his commandments and regulations. He made peace between Jews and Gentiles by creating in himself one new people from the two groups. Together as one body, Christ reconciled both groups to God by means of his death on the cross. And our hostility towards each other was put to death. Okay, think about all that we've talked about. Okay, so if you're visiting with us, I'm just gonna summarize. So if you go through chapter one and chapter two, verses one through 10, and we picked up chapter two, verse 11 today, what we've learned so far is that we are dead because of our many transgressions. But because Jesus died, we had the opportunity to be raised to life. And now what was killed instead is the very wall of hostility that stood between us and God and us and each other. There should be zero barriers between us. So how's that working out for you so far? Let me just ask the married people for a minute. Did you fight all the way to church today? 
and then smile when you get out of the car and act like it was all right. One of the great things about being a pastor is I get to come separate from my family. Are you still holding a grudge over whatever he or she said or did to you in the past? Are you busy judging somebody right now in your life? Because maybe the way they're dealing with something or their struggle isn't yours? Don't get me wrong, people sin and sin hurts. And sometimes we have to protect ourselves, set up walls or boundaries and until they really can be more healthy or understand it. But don't miss this. The gospel message is always this, that that which is found pursues that which is lost. So do you have the heart of your heavenly father? Do you love un? questionably, uncontrollably, unselfishly? Are you quick to forgive when someone says, I'm sorry? Are you still trying to punish somebody who wronged you in the past? Yesterday? Because the whole point, while Jews and Gentiles may not be literally present in our church today, although we do have some Jewish men and women who've come to faith in Jesus here, for the most part, we're looking at color of skin issues. We're looking at class issues, education issues, sin struggle issues. We're looking at us who are found, being more consumed with us and less consumed with the things of God. I'll show this to you in Luke chapter 15. I've told you we're gonna go through these two together. Take a look with me in Luke chapter 15, verse 25. This is right after the younger son has come home and the father's put the robe and the sandals and the ring on him and he's told his servants, kill the fattened calf. We're gonna have a big old party. Now, verse 25 of Luke chapter 15. <coughs> Meanwhile, the older son was in the fields working. When he returned home, he heard music and dancing in the house. He asked one of the servants, what's going on? The servant said, your brother is back. Your father has killed the fattened calf. We're celebrating because of his safe return. The older brother was excited, jumped up and down and said, yay, my brother's home. Instead, the older brother was angry and he wouldn't go in. I'll just stop there before I keep reading. Don't miss this. What the younger son did was offensive and shameful to the family. He went to his dad, he said, I don't really care about you. Just give me what's mine. Just go ahead and die, dad. And give me what'll be mine after your death. But it was private. What the older brother just did is extremely public. This would have been a bigger slap in the face. Dad has now killed the fattened calf, which he's been fattening for a very special occasion. And he said, I don't care about that occasion. There's no occasion bigger than this. My lost son is home. Gather the friends, gather the family. I heard one um, theologian talking about this story. He spent almost his entire ministry in the Middle East teaching in a Bible college. And he said, I've been in villages that probably would have been representative of what this is like. You would have heard the music and the dancing. You could have smelled the meats because they didn't cook meat all that much. People would have gathered around and they would have been hooping and hollering and dancing and feasting and all of a sudden the older brother says I'm not going in now dad probably should have just said oh you tell him get in here and say it to my face but don't miss this 
the dad shows the same mercy to the older brother that he showed to the younger brother. In the same way that the dad, when he saw his youngest son, he ran to him, embraced him, kissed him, blessed him. The same dad has now gone out to his older son. His older son doesn't understand his father's heart. Take a look. His father came out and begged him. But he replied, all these years I've slaved for you. Never once refused to do a single thing you told me to. And in all that time, you never gave me even one young goat for a feast with my friends. Just stop here for a minute. A feast with who? Who is the older brother concerned about? Himself. See, the younger son is having a party, but who's his party with? Daddy. Daddy, can we go on a daddy date? You bet we can, son. We'll leave those loser brothers behind and we'll go. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> they want to go with mom. Well, I'm just joking. I'm just joking. Boys, if you ever listen to this, I'm teasing. I just want to be with you, dad. The, son, the younger son comes home. I got no chance of being in the family again. My best chance is just to survive while working and paying off my dad debt. And the dad says, uh-uh, no son of mine is gonna work like a slave. Only my son will be a son. So yeah, let's eat, let's drink. I'm with dad again. But the older brother says, not once did you give me a, a feast with my friends. So who is this really about? I want to look good. I want to look important. I want to look powerful in front of the people that are going to pat me on the back and say, you are amazing. But the father, instead of at this point saying, boy, you have a really hard heart, instead, he says this. We'll keep going on the son's rant first. Yet when this son of yours, any of you guys have kids? Did you see what your son did today? That's what he just did. It's not your brother. When the son of yours comes back after squandering your money on prostitutes, you celebrate by killing the fattened calf. Pause for a minute. We are never told in the story that he spent his money on prostitutes. The older brother is busy judging the younger brother. One theologian said, I believe that the older brother is saying what he would have done if he were in the far country with the money. You celebrate by killing the fattened calf? His father said to him, how dare you? No, he didn't say that. He said, look, dear son, you have always stayed by me and everything that I have is yours. We had to celebrate this happy day. Your brother was dead and he's come back to life. He's lost, but now he's found. Now, I don't know if you have been paying attention to Luke chapter 15 as we've been going through this at all, but there's essentially four stories, okay? Four stories. Story number one, there's 100 sheep. One gets lost. The shepherd leaves the 99 together, and he goes after the, the, the sheep that's lost. He puts them on his shoulders. He carries them home. Big old party. Story number two, there's a woman. She has 10 coins. She loses one of her coins, she searches frantically, picture a dirt floor. The coin is probably lost in the dirt somewhere. The more she looks, the harder it gets to find, but she finally locates it, invites family and friends, big party. 
Story number three, there's a younger son. He offends daddy. He goes off to a far country. He wastes everything that dad has given him. He finally returns home. The father finds him out at the gates, brings him home. Big party. Are you with me? What's the common thing in all of this? Lost, found, big party. Story number four. There's one more lost thing. It's the older brother. And the older brother doesn't understand the heart of his father. How do I know? Just look at it. Where is the sheep lost? Is he lost close or is he lost far away? He's lost far away. Where is the coin lost? Is it lost far away or is it lost close? It's lost in the house. In the house, it says. It's close. Third story, lost son. Where is he lost? Is he lost far away or close? We well, starts close, but he goes far away. Like a sheep. Are you with me? Fourth story, older brother. Where is he lost? In a house like a coin? Jesus truly is the master storyteller, isn't he? The way he's telling the story is making the picture very, very clear to even the Pharisees. The best of the best of the best. You are just as lost as your brother because you do not love me. You did not chase me. You didn't want to party with me. You just wanted to look good for your friends. So now, verse 33, if you have your Bible open, go ahead and turn there, verse 33. Anybody see the problem yet? There is no verse 33. The first story ends with a party. The second story ends with a party. The third story ends with a party. The fourth story ends. There's no party. It just ends. This is like the most annoying thing in the world. This is like if somebody's playing a song on a piano and before the last note, they just get up and walk away. And you're like, you can't do that. You, can, you run up, you're like, I don't know where the note is. I gotta find the note. You can't leave it unresolved. Jesus leaves it unresolved because the question for us today is, will you come into the party? Will you receive your father's love over you? And if so, then you can welcome younger brothers home. And if so, then you can welcome older brothers home. And it doesn't matter how you got lost whether it's moral conformity or self-searching, the point is you need a father whose mercy is bigger than you can ever understand. And when you get your head wrapped around that mercy, it's so much easier to give it away. It's so much easier to forgive. It's so much easier to pursue that which is lost. But as long as you're right and they're wrong, then you have the moral high ground. Keep them at arm's length. You may feel safe like this, but you'll never have a relationship. I believe with all my heart that God busts up walls to build up people. God busts up walls to build up people. So whatever walls exist in your life, in your family, in your heart towards someone else, will you allow the God of mercy to tear it down? Ephesians chapter two, look at verse 17. 
He brought this good news of peace to you Gentiles who were far away from him and peace to the Jews who were near. Now, all of us can come to the Father through the same Holy Spirit because of what Christ has done for us. So now, you Gentiles are no longer strangers and foreigners. You are citizens along with all God's holy people. You are members of God's family. Together, 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 we are his house, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. And the cornerstone is Christ Jesus himself. We are carefully joined together in him, becoming a holy temple for the Lord. Through him, you Gentiles are also being made part of this dwelling where God lives by his spirit. The dwelling of God, don't miss this, began in the garden. That was the dwelling of God. When sin entered the picture, no longer could God dwell with man in the same way. But in each passing kind of generation, God gets nearer and nearer and nearer to his people. He ends up in a moving tent, a portable dwelling place, so to speak, and then a permanent tent, and then a temple, and then that temple's torn down, and then the temple that I showed you. We have a picture. You wanna know what's left of the temple that I showed you earlier? If you guys could pull that picture up real quick, here's what it looks like today. That's it. That's the Wailing Wall you may have heard of before, the Western Wall, the Temple Mount. If you were to zoom out, you'd see a mosque of Islam sitting on top of that very temple. Because in 70 AD, a guy named Titus and Vespasian attacked Jerusalem and tore that temple to the ground. So almost for the last 2,000 years, the Israelites have been without a temple. How could God dare to let them have no place to worship him? Because he moved from a physical building into the hearts of his people. You are the temple of God. You are a beautiful masterpiece in him. This is why, church, it can never be about brick and mortar. Because buildings always get tore down. But hearts, lives, lost, that's what it's about. And church, we've been having a lot of conversation about what to do with walls around here. We're looking at moving a bunch of them. As Darren already told you about the fifth and sixth grade ministry, part of the reason we're moving them up there is so we as a church and a school who have had a relational wall put up, and I take so much personal responsibility for this, but by God's grace, he has torn it down and has brought us together as one. Amen. And they are moving into the lighthouse. Yeah, you can clap for that. Yeah, you can give God the glory. And they're moving into the lighthouse. And I can't tell you all the specifics. It'd take too long. But their goal is to launch a new STEM lab in there so that we can better equip students and better attract students to our school so they can meet Jesus. You realize we do education to build up the body and also help other kids meet Jesus and fall in love with him. But it's gonna start creating kind of this outpouring of ministries moving over all over the building. Some of you have heard about this because you're in our life group, so we've given you information about it, and I'm pumped. I, for one, am pumped. The point isn't here to go through all those plans, and you may be wondering, we'll talk more about it next week. Don't stress about it. The point is to pray. It's just a building. If this building burns to the ground tomorrow, the temple will still exist because the temple's right here. The temple's right there. We are the temple of God. Now, the question for us is, will we, will we join the party? Will we come into the master's presence and celebrate with him because 
He loves us. Oh, how he loves us. So church, I wanna close this message by praying for God to come and dwell in this place to be with us and in us and to work through us in a profound way. And we're gonna come right out of this prayer and go right into communion. And I just want you to uh, use this time to engage with God. Listen, please don't tune me out, please. Communion is a dangerous thing if you have brokenness with a brother or sister. If you're gonna eat and drink of the thing that tore down the wall of hostility between you and God and yet hold your brother or your sister, could be your spouse, could be a little brother or sister, could be somebody in a church somewhere, if you're gonna hold them in contempt, if you're gonna judge them and not release them, not forgive them, not be renewed to them, then you're drinking condemnation on your own head. You're essentially looking at God and saying, I'll take that for me, but I will not dare give it to others. Take this time to do business with God. Let's pray. Father, thank you for being so good to us. Thank you for tearing down the wall of hostility. God, every single one of us in here at some point or another struggles. We struggle to release. We struggle to forgive. We struggle to move forward. God, I realize certain boundaries need put in place. I'm feeling this burden right now as I'm praying, God. There may be people in this room who have been severely abused or tricked or lied to or deceived, and this message, God, is not intended to guilt trip them and to acting like that deception never took place. But God, so many of us hang on to our bitterness, and it becomes our God, our functional God that we serve, and we feel uh, like we have the right to be angry instead of forgiving releasing, pursuing in love. God, would you build in us something amazing? Father, would you do something profound in us in this generation, in this time, that God, while we may move ministries or we may even literally move walls, please let us move some walls, Father. God, may we do it all for your name's sake, for your glory's sake, that we might see so many more come into the party. We love you and praise you in Jesus' name.